We sacrifice the Manoa playoff start for home field advantage? Sure. But we sacrifice Manoa start for a chance at home field advantage is weird because you saying that like about like Santiago Espinal right like before the season oh man I can't believe they lost Espinal oh, you, you just have to identify who the already loudest is and you have to be slightly quieter than them And welcome to episode number 248 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we warm our feet by the fire of Blue Jays' bullpen meltdowns. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined in the throes of a of COVID recovery uh, by Joshua Housem. Josh, should I ask how you're doing? Um, well, I'm better than I was earlier in the week, so we'll take that. This is, this is a delayed podcast just to give... Uh, Josh, some room to breathe, uh, and hopefully we get through uh, at least a, a a normal length podcast without killing you. <laughs> yeah, t- I appreciate it. Our topics. Um, there's been some debate about how to use Alec Manoa uh, regarding home field advantage, game one sixty two, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have had a little change in the batting order, but they're playing in Tampa, so it doesn't matter. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Maybe he's better than he looks on the surface. Um, there's been some interesting moves on the roster. Anthony Bass disappeared for a little while, even though he was on the roster. Uh, Forrest Griffin came and went. Um, Julian Merriweather went. The Santiago Espinal is on the injured list. Um, yeah, and then the bullpen has not survived any of that, despite despite the best efforts to use it in an effective way. We have your questions, which... I feel like we're not going to have a real positive bet right now. <laughs> but we do have a gold star for Twitter uh, defender uh, Alec Manoa, who argued so vociferously in favor of his teammate that he caused the man to completely delete all of his social media presence, which is not easy to do. Um, so we begin with game 162. Well, first of all, my question is, are we getting ahead of ourselves with game 162 since the Jays are 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 still have two and a half more games to play in Tampa? Well, no, we're not. Because if the Jays win one in the series, they'll be tied with Tampa. Right? As long as they don't get swept, they won't be behind them. The Rays will hold the tiebreaker, but the Jays won't be behind. So, no. All right. So there's a what I have heard from from the esteemed reporters is that the plan currently is to start Alec Manoa in game 162 if home field advantage is on the line thus rendering him unavailable for the next 3 games where you would you would be playing uh the wild card series that's the idea. Now, this is again. This this is if, right? If winning the game one sixty two against Baltimore in Baltimore can get the Jays home field advantage in the postseason or the first round, they will pitch Manoa. I think that's a little crazy. I think it overestimates the value of home field advantage and. As pointed out, I believe by you on Twitter earlier, but as was discussed somewhere, I saw um, 
What if you just don't? Now you have no Alec Manoa and no home field advantage. Right. That it was me who said that. Right. Yeah. Like if you start Manoa and you lose, which does happen, has happened against Baltimore, I'm pretty sure. Then you're really screwed. I mean, like any individual baseball game, even one started by Alec Manoa is only slightly better than a coin flip, especially against a team that's not bad, like the Orioles, especially if it's the Orioles playing spoiler with nothing to play for. So I don't like it. I, I just I just think that you're, it's taking on way too much risk for a useful reward. Like there is, I would much rather be the Jays at home than on the road just because Burrios, for some reason, is not a complete circus at home. He still kind of is, but not completely. But, you know, it's just always better to be at home. But uh, to lose Manoa and have to go with Gaussman, Brios, and Stripling as their one, two, three, I just, uh, that just seems like it's asking a lot for something like playing at home. Mm. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I guess maybe I, I just don't see home field advantage in a three game set, even as being a particular leg up on the competition given that you're not guaranteeing home field advantage by starting Manoa, right? I could see it if somehow well, that's thing. It, it was a guarantee, right? It's like, okay, we sacrifice the Manoa playoff start for home field advantage. Sure. But we sacrifice Manoa start for a chance at home field advantage is weird because how much right. better or how much worse would, would Gaussman starting game 162 really be? Well, a lot. I mean, that Gossman and Manoa, it's the same thing. You don't want either of them pitching that game. You want them both in the series. I, I'm, I'm not ready to say one of them is better than the other. <clears throat> but it's the question is, would you rather have Mitch White start that game? Or, I don't know, Matt Gage called up from Buffalo or Nate Pearson. Who cares? It's just, the point is that you can't risk being on the road and having no Manoa. That just seems... Or no, well, no top three. Because it would be, yeah. Right. I, I just, I can't understand. Like, it has to be a massive thing in your favor by starting Manoa, and that just doesn't exist. All right. Um, so, yeah, we shockingly have come to a point where we disagree with Jay's management. That's never happened before. We should write that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, this team has been playing... Uh, it played well for the last two weeks, very well for the last two weeks, gained a bunch of ground on the Yankees, uh, put a little space into the first wild card spot, and then it looks like the shine has come off the apple, um, and one of the things that uh, John Schneider has tried to do is he has tried to tweak the batting order uh, in order to sort of, you know, perhaps get a better result, which is to me is a weird thing to do at this point of the season. It is and it isn't. I think that part of the tweak is just that Bo Bichette had been moved down out of his normal two spot and Vlad had taken over the two spot. And Bo Bichette just caught fire. I mean, right now, Bo Bichette is the best hitter in the American League. And, and Aaron Vlad Judge is has, out there. <laughs> right. Um, and, and Vlad has... He's hitting pretty well, actually, lately, by statistically, even though you wouldn't know it by looking at some of his bats. You know, he's just he he he's had this situation come up a lot where he's grounding into double plays or, or like with, with Springer on base, and I think it's just they're wanting to get the extra guy on base so that 
there's you know you have the three top guys in a row and with Bobisha hitting for all these extra bases you can score Springer from first and anyway I, I just get it moving your hot hitter to the number two spot the hot hitter who is supremely talented I do find it interesting the unusually balanced lineup that the Blue Jays have have managed to field here kind of like you know while you weren't watching um the blue jays have the best starting nine ops of anybody in baseball but nobody with an ops over 850 yeah it's it's a little odd what has happened to the jays offense you know they springer especially was you know, he's, his OPS is under 800, and that's just not what you – George Springer, you expect him to be closer to 900, right? Yep. And <clears throat> Vlad is down there in the 820 range, I believe. And it's, some of it is the new ball and the new, the new run scoring environment, but a lot of it is just guys taking steps back, and it's just kind of <clears> – <throat> it's not – it's not ideal given the way this team is built. Even though they still scored a lot of runs and they're among the league leaders in this and that, it's still not not ideal. But over the last couple of weeks, you've had the very odd result of of uh, Ryan Altapia and Santiago Espinal and um, whomever, Danny Jansen. I mean, Danny Jansen leads the Blue Jays in OPS. Don't tell anybody. Or he did a couple of days ago. Um, uh, making up for that uh, and chewing up uh, a couple of the the opposing bullpens, you know, as you would have expected the top of the lineup to do. So it's a very it, it is a very strangely balanced lineup. It, it doesn't mean it's a you know it's an awesome lineup way up and down, but it is kind of a weird a weird structure that has kind of emerged. And again, obviously not intentional. You weren't you're not hoping for Ryan Tapia to have uh, a 750 to 800 OPS, but you know you get what you get. Um. You have a note here about Vlad's actual hitting streaks or hitting stats. Like you said, despite the awkward striking out a lot, when he does put on the bat the, on the ball, things are still good. It's kind of funny when you watch <clears throat> you watch these games and you see Vlad flailing at change-ups and then hitting these soft ground balls. Not soft ground balls. He's hitting these just constant ground balls. But and then you look up. And it's like, oh, Vlad was on a 14-game hitting streak with three bombs where he's hitting 307. I think that the thing that's kind of making it not look as much like Vlad is Vlad, he's just not walking. He still isn't. You know, even in that streak, he had three walks. But on the season, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has only 54 walks. Last year, he had 86. And it just, it's showing in his approach. He's just swinging at a lot of things you're not supposed to swing at. Yeah, and it's it's been a consistent attack on the outside part of the plate all season long, and he really has not made the adjustment. He has not forced them to come inside where he is extremely dangerous. Um, and I don't know if that's because he thinks that he's not getting the calls out there or whether he's just pressing overall. That would be, I guess, a question you'd have to interview him and ask him. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, it seems like there's a lot of a lot of it happening with runners on base, so it could be some element of that. He, you know, he comes up and he swings at the pitch, first pitch, you know, a changeup or a slider way outside. And it's like, you just hope he misses it because sometimes he hits those in play and they're weak pop-ups or grounders. Yeah, but there, there are definitely a distinct lack of pitches in his wheelhouse. And 
and, and you know, you only get one sometimes, and I've seen him miss that one more often than not. But still, the, the numbers don't lie. A three oh seven batting average over fourteen games is, you know, you would take that from a lot of guys if you could throw a few home runs in there. So, you know, it's much like the team. It's been it's been good in some aspects, and then it stumbles. It's it's a little a little surprising at the moment where you're really hoping it will all come together. It just nothing happens. Like one night they score 18 runs against the Phillies and then the next they lose four, three. <laughs> um, uh, there, there's a whole bunch of bullpen to discuss here. N- number one, I guess is uh, Anthony Bass kind of went MIA for a little bit. It was bizarre. I mean, the team insisted he was fine. <clears throat> um, and he made his first appearance during the game we're, we're recording in because, again, we always record during games. And he served up a three-run homer. For the first home run, he gave him up to a right-handed batter in over a year. Uh, and that was a cheap home run off the top of the wall to the opposite field. But still, a home run on a horribly placed slider. Uh, but I, you know, he wasn't sharp. And when you don't pitch for a week you're not going to be sharp. It was really bizarre that he was not used in any of the games with Baltimore or uh, the first two in Philly. Yeah, especially since he has been, you know, the go-to high leverage guy on multiple occasions for for John Schneider. Um, Did the Blue Jays use Forrest Griffin? Yes. He did get in a game. Okay, I was... Yes, he pitched in the... The latest Burrios meltdown game, unfortunately. Burrios has actually been pitching pretty well lately, so I want to—I don't want to say it like that. But in the first game of the Tampa series, Burrios didn't make it out of the third. Or he didn't make it to the third. And uh, so Griffin came in at some point. Which is good that they used him because, um, of course, he was up for Julian Merriweather. Who... It's Foster, by the way, not Forrest. Sorry, but... Foster Griffin. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking of Forrest Wall. Uh, these are all <laughs> real players, I totally swear. <laughs> Um, Julian Merriweather grooved one and gave up, I believe it was a home run in, in, in Philly. And I, I saw that pitch and I was like, well, that's the end of Julian Merriweather. And lo and behold, (laughs) the following day, that was the end of Julian Merriweather. I don't think Julian Merriweather is ever going to happen, Josh. Not unless he, I don't understand why he's been all this time in the minor leagues rehabbing. He hasn't learned to do something different with his fastball. Like, geez, dude, like your your fastball's straight as a pin. Well, actually, no, if it was straight as a pin, it'd be great. But it's like right league average. Exactly <laughs> what what every hitter sees on average, that's his fastball. So they crawl, they just clobber it. And it's not 100 miles an hour anymore, so they're not late on it. I, I, think, it's, I think it's over for him, unless he really makes a change, because obviously he's not working. Yeah, and and despite the velocity um, things, the execution just has not been in his favor over and over again. Which, um, you know, he's just an example of of what's been happening to the Blue Jays bullpen. There was there was the eleven zero getaway day game. Uh, there was the end of the Baltimore series. Uh, there was even the eighteen eleven victory in in Philly was like, it's the old Casey Stengel. Does anybody know how to play this here game? Um, It seemed like every guy they brought in was like, okay, your mission is to make this laugher feel like a nail biter. (laughs) 
And well, and the issue is is really not so much. Well, I mean, it is that for sure. But <clears throat> it's also that lately, the Jays' ability to minimize the damage has been gone. Um, this is I don't want to be all this all this negative. Like the Jays are still in a really good spot, and they've come back to tie this game against Tampa. Like they're showing a lot of life. But in the Baltimore game, they were winning by a, two runs, and then. Uh, they scored. They get a home run off of Yimi Garcia in the eighth. So Romano came in, one run lead. He blew the save, which okay, <clears throat> but then he gave up two more runs. And then Jays scored in the bottom half off of Felix Bautista, which is really hard, and had the tying run on base, but they couldn't get it in. Right, and then in in that second in that first Philly game, well, Julian Merriweather. Well, okay, we'll just forget that one. But then the next one, <laughs> three nothing lead. They gave up three. Like it's never just give them one or two. It's three. Like they can't stop the rallies. And in this game we're talking about now, it was three again. It's just they, they they're having a lot of trouble minimizing damage, and it has cost them three games. Well, two games because this one's tied. I can't say it cost them this game, but it cost them both the Baltimore game and the Philly game. They should have won both of those games without question, and they lost them both. And if they had won even one of them they'd be in the driver's seat right now, which is yep. the sad point, right? Because especially like, okay, the Baltimore game, well, it was a one-run lead. Okay, you lose one-run games, whatever it happens. <clears throat> Philly won a three-run lead in the eighth against the bottom of the order. Tampa has lost. Seattle has lost. You win that game, you're three games up for home field advantage with 12 to go. Yeah. And 13 every to win, go. Every, <clears throat> every loss looms large and late losses loom larger. 100%. Yep. Yeah, and it's just all about this inability to just minimize. Like, okay, in this game, a three-run homer, okay, three-run homers happen. But then he gave up two more hits, right? They got out of it. But it's these stringing together the badness that has been the problem. And I think it's because they're just a little bit overworked. Or Bass, in Bass's case, he just was rusty. Rot. <clears throat> yeah, rusty. But all these bullpen games that they've had with these doubleheaders and with Mitch White being not great or Barrios being not great or whoever – I think it's just taking their toll on some of these relievers. They're just not at peak effectiveness, and that's the wrong time for that. Well, yeah, and we we do, you know, they are they are calling up Griffin um, instead of having Nate Pearson actually ready to go. You know, these are different quality level of replacement and different experience level of replacement. Unfortunately, it's interesting with Pearson that they want him to be ready to throw multiple innings. I mean, I guess that has value, right? They especially when they're starting Mitch White who was okay today, <clears throat> three runs over five. That's acceptable. <laughs> four. But was it? Oh, yeah, four innings, right. So not so acceptable. Not great. But, <clears throat> um, it, it's like he struck in his last rehab outing, Pearson faced five batters. He struck out four and walked one. That would be valuable in the big leagues. Uh, I don't know why you need him to throw two, but that's what they want him to do. So he has to do that before he comes back. Well, yeah. I, I'm I'm prepared for that plan to uh, to develop as as this bullpen major league bullpen continues to melt down. <laughs> um, we do have another uh, injured list uh, or another casualty. Um, really strange situation where Kevin Biggio was called upon to pinch hit versus a lefty, and mm-hmm. so many question marks came up on my Twitter timeline, like. Okay, I know. Well, not, not had... just any lefty, Jose Alvarado, who throws 101 yeah. miles an hour. Yeah, everyone was like, okay, like I know Alvarado has reverse splits like this year, but that that just doesn't seem 
logical. And then we find out that, oh, no, that didn't have anything to do with the Biggio matchup. It had to do with Espinal not not being in good shape. Uh, what Is was the exact, exact description of the injury? Well, he's got an oblique issue. Um, and that sucks because the Biggio-Espinal platoon was actionably pretty good. Um, Biggio had struggled a bit of late, but Biggio can hit righties and Espinal can really hit lefties. Like he said, he's over 300 against lefties, but, and Merrifield is not good. I don't know what happened to what Merrifield, we got a question about it, so I'll save it, but it hurts not having Espinal. And especially with obliques, you just, we've seen it with the Blue Jays players. You never know when they're going to get back. And Ah, geez, like you just hope he can be ready for the for the for the postseason because it's a huge difference. You never thought like, he'd be saying that, like about like Santiago Espinal, right? Like before the season, oh man, I can't believe they lost Espinal. <laughs> but you know, with, with Guriel still on the shelf and no specific signs of when he's going to return, it matters. <clears throat> yeah, every, every every roster spot not inhabited by the best guy you have available is a potential problem with a dozen games left to go in the season. Wow. We, we went from real positive last podcast to gosh, looming, you know, yeah, well, I'll, I'll finish things. on something a little positive before we go into the next thing, but <clears throat> we're talking about these injuries and I've been watching a lot of Rymel Tapia. <clears throat> so my voice is a little raspy because of the COVID thing, but uh, I've been watching a lot more of Rymel Tapia lately than I was expecting to be in September. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> There's just some chaotic energy to Tapia when he's on the bases that, and, and, and just with his hits and the way he swings, that it just, it provides a little extra energy to the games. And it just, he's playing really well right now, which helps, but it also just makes them a little more fun to watch. I, I don't know. I didn't expect that to be the case. <clears throat> yeah. That seems to be the, um, the opinion of, of most Colorado, he was a Rocky, right? Yep. Yeah. That yeah, for seems to, for a great see, yeah, it seems to be that the opinion of a lot of Colorado fans is uh, when, when you see them sort of waxing poetic about Tapia, it's just, man, I, I, I really like to wa watch that guy play. <laughs> like I, when, when he was on, when things were working, it was a lot of fun. And it's like, yeah, he, he fits in the fun part of this, this team. Um, I mean, they're going to be counting on him uh, until Guriel Jr. is healthy again so hopefully uh, he can continue to have fun uh, we're gonna have some fun by answering your questions and we're gonna do that in just a couple of minutes we'll be right back after this i'm sipping this kerosene until she comes back to me uh we are back um i am going to give uh josh kerosene to drink to just clear out the pipes <laughs> so nice get, get rid of the <laughs> rid of the squeaking yeah see it's it's gonna it's gonna do so much for you you won't you don't even know um <laughs> we're gonna answer a couple of questions we got from you guys time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question now how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question please now, our first question is from Elle at Elia Yellyheart, and uh, she said, I finally found a slow pitch team. It looks like I'll be playing first base. What do I need 
to know or do to be my team's Vladdy. I've already mastered having launch angle problems. Uh, ironic, I did not see this question on the break. We were we were lamenting Vlad's um, mood once you watch one of his rougher plate appearances. <laughs> so we can be really nasty here, but I don't think we should be. I think I think what she's trying to do is she's trying to like have some trademark moves so that people recognize her Guerrero Jr.ness, right? Well, I think I think the key is just to if they happen to throw it in your whatever your launch angle spot is, you have to hit it 400 miles. That's the rules, right? <clears throat> to be the Vlad, like when you do get that one that you actually swing at, it's got to go. By the way, maybe we should change this up. Instead of L learning to be Vlad from slow pitch, maybe Vlad should go play some slow pitch to fix his launch angle. Because <laughs> uh, you my... can't, if you swing down, they swing like Vlad does, you cannot hit a pitch in slow pitch. It's impossible. Yeah, you have to, you have to get underneath it. Um, so I would say on the defensive side, uh, you absolutely have to do the splits at every opportunity <laughs> at first base on the stretch. Full out. So start stretching now, and hopefully by you know week two, you can demonstrate to people your your uh, stretch and reach. And then oh, people, oh, and, people know. And you have to call for a challenge on any close play, even if you don't have replay. Just start pointing at the dugout to see what people say. Yeah, and, and nod enthusiastically because you know whether running or... Or at, at first, you are a hundred percent certain you know what really happened, regardless of the call. Oh, and on close plays that you know is the right play, you just start shaking your head at the dugout for no reason. You know, <laughs> that, that's that's what you have to do. Um, also, it's important that you be the loudest cheerleader in the dugout for everybody else, because no, in, that's more Lourdes, but sure. Well, I don't know. I, I've seen. They, I've they, seen they all tell you it's Lourdes. Like, you, <laughs> all the Blue Jays say it's Lourdes. <laughs> Be the second loudest cheerleader. Find someone yeah. on the team to be your Lourdes Curiel dude. That's what you <laughs> there need you to go. do. Identify the no. You just have to identify who the already loudest is, and you have to be slightly quieter than them. Uh, we have one other question. Uh, Howie says at says underscore Howie, what is wrong with Whit Merrifield? Wasn't he a good player with KC, an All Star even? Well, I mean that. Okay, we'll get into that. I know it's a down year for him, but he's gotten worse coming to the Jays. Seriously, what's wrong with Wit? Uh, if I knew this, I would be pay, being paid a lot of money to coach. I don't get it. Like, I, I don't know what happened to him. He's just turned into a terrible player. And like, what Merrifield was an all-star, a multiple time, time all-star. And the one thing that what Merrifield did was hit, right? He, and hit and steal bases. Obviously he was a very good base dealer, but you got to get on base to steal. And he's not doing that very much. He, he actually has a couple hits lately. So he's looked a little bit better, but. He had two home runs last night. I don't even know why this question came up at this particular gesture. <laughs> and then he had a double in the, to start this game, but he still only has a 627 OPS and he's hitting 217. There's the a one bigger thing problem. There's a much bigger problem. The team is cursed when he starts. Well, that's what I was going to get to. <laughs> it's this is uh, this is the the James and To stat of the week. We should probably. Hire him. <laughs> with, with what money? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we just no. We'll just steal from him. It's easier. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. James. Sorry. <laughs> Should yeah. pay while your tweets, buddy. <laughs> uh, you can do that now, right? Is that I a think thing? so? Yeah, probably circles or something. I don't know. 
Anyway, so yeah, he put it out that since he's arrived, the Blue Jays, this is as of yesterday, have moved to 5-15 and 15 with Witt in the starting lineup, including six straight losses, and 20-2 and two when he's not with 15 straight wins. So, I mean, this you could, is why the Espinal injury really hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could almost argue that having Whit Merrifield on the bench makes the, but nowhere else, makes the Blue Jays a World Series contender. Just, just that alone, twenty and two with him sitting on the bench, not doing anything. Yeah. See, it's see a how easy that is. It's a correlation causation problem. I may have just stepped into there, but I didn't, you know, <laughs> nah. just leave that be. It's, it's definitely causation. There's no way that that's not real. He's just full on the bench. Like he can pinch run. He can steal yeah. bases. Right. Yeah, and this is Whit Merrifield starts. Right. Like that's not Whit Merrifield games he's appeared in. It's just start. So you just can't right. let him start. Right. All right. Well, I'm glad we solved that problem. That was a that was bothering me before the podcast, but now I feel better. Um, let us let us move to the gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Often, I think we were would be giving Alec Manoa a gold star for some fantastic argument he's had about trying to stay in the game <laughs> on the mound. But this doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Would you like to to apprise us of the situation with one? Ex no, you take it. Okay. Yeah. Ex-Twitter user Matthew Ross and supposed baseball personality, apparently Matthew Ross, um, has a podcast and some regular radio bit on Montreal radio, I think it is, um, attempted to respond to a tweet about, um, it was Alejandro Kirk coming around third at full Scoring steam. Scoring for first on a double. Yeah. At absolutely everything that Alejandro Kirk has. Um, and he expressed that it was, you know, a bad look to be highlighting, uh, Captain Kirk in all of his glory, because, you know, he is not, I think you and I can agree, uh, a peak physical specimen, but what he is, is a great hitter and a professional baseball player. And why Ross felt the need to point out that, you know, uh, something we all know about Kirk um and to take away from his uh you know the success of the moment uh i'm not sure but he did and then alec came for him uh and made a good point that if you are not showing all of the people um out there that they can compete and that they can participate and that it's okay that maybe maybe you're on the wrong side of things trying to limit uh mm -hmm. what you promote um he came at him pretty hard. Uh, I would tell, direct you to the original tweets, but they don't exist anymore from Ross. Nor does any of his social media presence, to my understanding. Yeah, Manoa bodied him pretty hard, so hard that he <laughs> fell off social media. <laughs> the impact heard around the world. Uh, his apology was pretty... Pretty full it also, of BS it also well. just doesn't ring true. Yeah. He basically apologized this idea that like, oh, like he thought that the team was like making a joke about it and blah, blah, blah. No, that you can look back at his previous things. He has this problem when fat people do athletic things and it, and people enjoying it. It's like, who cares? Right? Like they're, they're still extreme athletes, right? Like 
Like people laugh, oh, Bartolo Colon, ah, he's fat. He has like this pelican thing under his neck. Bartolo Colon was a tremendous athlete. <clears throat> yeah. And, like with, with the mechanical ability that he had like, to throw, I think it was 39 strikes in a row at one point. <laughs> you have to be an athlete. And yep. so it's just, it's just nonsense. Yeah. Um, this is, and I think Manoa's point is very good uh, to, to highlight. If people who are not in perfect shape don't think that they can participate, then they won't. Uh, yep. And that does nothing for them mentally or physically in the long run, right? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make them feel better about themselves as people. It doesn't allow them to, you know, experience things socially. It, and it's not just participation in sports. It's just participation in general. If you can do the thing, if you can try the thing, it doesn't matter how you look while you're doing it. Um, so yeah, it's really good to see Manoa come to his defense. It's really good to see the rest of, of, uh, Twitter pile on. Uh, and it's really good to see that Matthew Ross won't be burdening us with his opinions anymore. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to say that having your own podcast does not make you an actual media member. I could speak from experience. <laughs> what do you mean, man? <laughs> I'll, I'll break it to you after the pod. It's I'll explain it. It's okay. <laughs> Are you going to crush my hopes and dreams? Oh, you still have those. Gosh, that seems that's going to be rough to, to explain. Did we, did we just make this awkward? Um, uh... Yeah, man, <laughs> I don't know why why you even still have those. Oh, my goodness. Um, this is the uh, opportunity that I would give you to put forth a final thought if you were so inclined. Yeah, um, we talked about the lack of the, you know, the... 830 plus OPS guys. Jansen is technically at 834 now, but we, we talked about that. But one of the very bright spots is Matt Chapman, who's now back up over 780. And he's turned on the power again, which is the, it, the lengthening of the lineup has been the thing that we've always had to concern with, with the Blue Jays, where it's like two guys are hitting at once or three guys. But if, Springer, who's hitting well, and the power finally starting to show up for Springer again. That's the other big one. He's starting to hit it with authority, not just hitting home runs, but hitting the ball far and hard, which had gone away with his injury for a little bit. So you have Springer hitting, Bo hitting, Vlad hitting, despite how he looks when he doesn't. And then Chapman and Jansen or Tapia or whatever down the line, that's when you get like the Jays have scored six runs in this game. They scored five yesterday. They scored 11 or 18 in one game against, against the Phillies, right? If they can keep doing that, the pitching will come back around because they're good pitchers and they'll win a lot of games. So it's just nice to see these middle and bottom of the order guys producing. Yeah, a, a long lineup is a good lineup. Um, and it, it feels it feels like it's okay to be rooting for those bottom three guys at the moment. I 100% agree. Uh, so my final thought is about Aaron Judge uh, and this strange frenzy about home run number 62 uh it is the american league home run record so in the sense of that i i think it's a pretty big deal this de-legitimization of barry bond's record is just and by some fairly significant people like john Heyman, who i know you can't read the tweets of um or is it Buster you can't read the tweets of? 
No, it's Heyman. It's Heyman. Um, this delegitimization of 73 home runs by Barry Bonds is just to me a continued insult to the whole um, the whole steroid scandal and, and everything else that surrounded it. Um, the idea that somehow Roger Maris was clean in an era of rampant amphetamine usage. Is, to the point where there was a coffee pot that had was marked differently from the other coffee pot because that the one full of speed. Yeah. Um and and a bunch of the descriptions of, of Maris's, you know, physical state during that season, which were attributed to stress, I'm sure were not stress. <laughs> I'm sure they were due to his usage of of uh of substances. Uh and then, you know, somehow that uh again bonds wasn't was not ever caught or suspended uh, at any time for the records that he set so i i don't know where this well i know where it's coming from <laughs> i don't like where it's coming from um to just sort of wash whitewash the fact that that the real record here um is very clearly 11 home runs more than the next one that uh that Aaron Judge is going to hit is really speaks to how how ignorant baseball can still be about its history and what is actually going on. Yeah, it's uh it's annoying. It's dumb. And it's the reason the Bray Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame. He's the home run champion. And it's like when people ask the question, well, do you consider him the the? It's like that's not that's delegitimizing it by asking the question. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he he has the most home runs, therefore he is the home run champion. Full stop. There's no other way to look at it. The league recognizes it as the home run champion, therefore it is. This is no like asterisk. There was it, with Maris, right? For a very and then they took time. it away because <laughs> they realized no, he's got the most home runs. He's the home run king. I don't care if you played six more games or eight yep. more games. Home run king is, is the guy who has the most home runs. Yeah. Period. Now, I think what Judge is doing is incredible. And I think if he sets the American League record, which is a, breaking a Yankee record as a Yankee, that's pretty worth celebrating and pretty cool. But it would it shouldn't be getting quite as much attention as it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I will be the first. If next week we come up, I expect I will be the first one congratulating uh, at the end of the podcast, Aaron Judge, on his American, home le uh, American League home run record. 100%. It is a, a massive accomplishment. But Barry Bonds is a mile ahead. <laughs> There's no question. Yeah, I mean, Judge might end up with 65, right? I mean, there's yep. still 12 games to play. He could get, he could get five. He could get seven. He could end up with 67. Still six short of the record. It's not, even, <laughs> it's not even good enough for second place. Yeah, it's a tie for third. Yep. Uh, would you like to quote as your our last thing? Your our our your my favorite thing about. 60 home run seasons. Yes, it's the greatest stat that there is that exists in sports so, or in baseball. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> in the history of baseball now, there have been nine 60 home run seasons. Sammy Sosa has a third of those. He has three. And he has did not lead the league in any of them. <laughs> Uh, is he the only man with a 60 home run season who didn't ne who never led the league in home runs? He did lead the league in home runs. Oh, he did, yes. He, just not in any of the years <laughs> where he hit 60. 
Yeah. Timing. Timing, timing, Sammy. You got to figure this stuff out. Yeah. So the first, it's funny. In 1998, he hit 66. McGuire hit 70. In 1999, he hit 63. McGuire hit 65. And then in 2001, he hit 65 and Bonds hit 73. <laughs> and that's why Sammy Sosa never got any traction. Pardon me for the Hall of Fame. Oh, Josh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. I have tortured your poor throat and lungs long enough. Uh, I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 20N, Coolhead 2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 248. And we will be back to talk at you next week.